This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, the king and queen of clay are crowned at Roland Garros. Is there trouble in paradise at the Melbourne Demons? Binny and GMA swaps champagne for real pain. And are the Chilean Football Association a bunch of dicks? <laughs> Let's go. It's 10 past two on Sunday, the 12th of June, 2022. And, well, it's a bit different this week, isn't it, Stewie? It really is. So we had great plans yesterday. We were going to get together and record probably three episodes and then go off and watch the NBL one with Cody Ellis. And then, unfortunately, well, it didn't happen. So when we first started doing this podcast, one of the ideas was to kind of document sport in the time of COVID. And it's only fitting that given that yesterday was exactly two years to the day that we recorded our very first episode, I finally come down with COVID. You poor bastard. I've got to tell you, Stewie, it's the worst hoax I've ever caught. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank God you've got decent 5G anyway. (laughs) And I saw that, uh, you know, that that meme on Twitter with, uh, well, around social media in general, where the whole class is looking at Bart and they're like, say it, say it, when he's there, I didn't do it. But there's one about COVID where it's like, yes, it would have been a lot worse if I didn't have my booster. (laughs) It is true. (laughs) I tell you what, I felt bad enough, so I'm glad I've had three jabs prior to this. But uh, yeah, the dreaded day four, it's true. The rumours are true about day four. Yesterday was day four for me, and I can tell you it was definitely the worst. But Good in cricket, but just not in COVID. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah, you're happy if you get to that fourth, fifth day in uh, in cricket. But uh, yeah, no, definitely a lot better today than yesterday. So although our plans were given a bit of a, uh, well, what do we say? See, this is one of the problems with COVID, Stewie, is that my Cognitive functioning isn't particularly on par, so I'm struggling with my words at times. So I'll be <laughs> relying on you carrying things a little bit at times. We'll get through it, mate. We'll get through it. But uh, yeah, certainly for the first time in a long time, we are recording in separate places. And I've come into the work office because they've got better Wi-Fi and you're at home in the office there. So we'll, Indeed, uh, yeah, we'll see yes, how it all I've goes. been confined to my two rooms. Amazingly, my girlfriend has managed to to uh, not catch it off me. So well, well, amazingly, you didn't catch it off me, this is it. We recorded for what? We were probably three hours in that little room the night before you tested positive and I've somehow managed to avoid it. Yeah, incredible. So very lucky. So yeah, obviously uh, you, you could be forgiven for thinking we're the NBL blokes lately because our last two episodes have been very NBL heavy. And if you haven't gone back and listened to the Alex Loughton episode or the Peter Hawley episode, we'd definitely encourage you to do so because they were a lot of fun, weren't they, the last couple of weeks? They really were. Great getting different insights, I guess, from, from different guys in different parts of the uh, of the NBL. Really, really interesting. And with any luck, we'll have another one of them coming up very shortly too. But we won't can our chickens like uh, the great Peter Hawley said with his projects. I guess we won't we won't dwell on the NBL a hell of a lot this week. But uh, you did get to go to the NBL one last night, Shui, when I couldn't. I think you went with your old man. How did that go? I did, yeah. It was really great. Got to sit courtside, managed to, uh, managed to watch a really great game on Unfortunately for, for Cody and the Warwick Senators, they did go down to the Geraldton Buccaneers 95-88. It was a, a real seesawing game. The uh, the Buccaneers were down about 16, it was at least 14, 14 to 16 points at one stage, uh, sort of in the middle of the match, and they came roaring back. They were a, a very, very impressive outfit. But considering the injuries, no Kyle Zunich, and, and I think another couple of starters were missing, it was a, a very impressive performance by the by the boys from Warwick. And, you know, they're, uh, they're sitting, I think, second on the ladder now, and uh, the Buccaneers still undefeated on the top. It's a, yeah, Zunich is a massive out, obviously, uh, being on the Wildcats roster there. And then, obviously, since we did record with Pete on Tuesday, those signings in Adelaide have been confirmed. Cleveland and Franks, two huge, huge signings. And as I said when we asked him, 
possibly the biggest off-season for Adelaide since the Darnell Me Kevin Brooks back in the late 90s. Oh, it's impossible to argue with that. I think the, the quality of those two and the fact that they play different positions, you've got a, a really nice stretch four in Franks and you've got that real defensive-minded sort of two-three with, uh, with Cleveland. They are going to be incredibly difficult to stop. I heard somebody saying that you could put the mascot in as the, the, the fifth player on that <laughs> team and they're probably still going to contend for a championship. And I think the the fact that they are both very good defenders probably does hide Daniel Johnson's deficiencies a little. Alex talked about those a bit, and 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 a few people have talked about his D being not his strongest suit. So they probably can help him out there a little bit too, and he can focus on the offensive end. And you've also got to look at the fact that the other two guys they've got in the guard positions in Sunday Detch and uh, Mitch McCarron, pretty handy defensive players themselves. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's an understatement. They'll be very good defensively. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I guess their bench will be interesting, but geez, they'll be formidable. They will be. So we haven't talked about the NBA for a while, Stewie, and, and I guess we'll, we'll fast forward to the finals quickly, just with a few tidbits here and there. But prior to that, the conference finals, there was, there was some interesting goings on, weren't there? Yeah, there were a few. I mean, I must admit, I've kind of lost a little bit of interest in the, the playoffs. It's my most hated team in the East and my most hated team in the West at the moment in the finals. So I'm struggling with who I want to win the least. But uh, yeah, going back to those Eastern Conference finals, probably the big talking point is this Max Struess incident where he'd hit a three from the corner and a few minutes later, they actually went back to the review and decided that his foot was slightly out of bounds. I'm not even 100% convinced that his foot was down, but it kind of opens up a real Pandora's box in terms of what they want to do with that sort of stuff. And if you're willing to go back that far on a made basket and have a quick look and see, was he out, was he in, where do we draw the line? I know what you mean about the, the conference finals as well. So for me, this is probably the least I've watched of the conference finals in quite a few seasons, actually. I normally watch all of the conference finals and the, the NBA finals. I didn't see all of the Dallas and, and Golden State series. I only actually saw a couple of games from that series. I did see the vast majority of, of the Miami and Celtic series, though. Did, did you hear at, at one point in game four, Miami starters only scored 18 points, the fewest of any starting five in a playoff game since 1971? I did see that. That's not a great recipe for success, if we're the, honest. No, Boston's defense has been absolutely elite. But yeah, that, that thing really does open a can of worms, doesn't it? Because my understanding was that it was nearly 15 minutes of real time. That's a hell of a long time to, to pass in order to make a change in the score. And again, I always go back to it, and I'm sorry for our listeners who've had to hear me bitch about this for that many times. It takes me back to that Giannis game winner against OKC in 2017. It, it's a play that if you're going to review that, then you kind of almost have to review everything. Yeah, they didn't review the Giannis one on a game winner but they're going to review that in the middle of a game. Then, yeah, like there is no line really after that. Then it's a case of, it's almost like the NFL where you have to kind of check every score just to make sure it's legit. Well, can you imagine if an AFL game, if they decided that something was a behind or, I mean, it's that's not even possible, obviously, because then it would change a bounce down versus a kick in or something. But I don't know. It's, it's a hell of a long time to make that decision. I, I think if you can't make it in a timeout or in the immediate aftermath, it's just bad luck. It's just a bad call. Bad calls happen all the time. It would just be another bad call. Do you actually think it was a bad call though? Oh, look, I'll be honest with you. I can't remember. Um, I, I, I did watch it and I do remember watching that game, but I can't remember if, if I felt that it was kind of a glaring, you know. I think really the only call there was inconclusive. <laughs> Well, yes. Well, that'll be all the more reason not to change anything. I don't know. I wasn't 100% certain that his foot was down. The angle that they showed was 
probably at about a 45 degree to his foot. I don't think there was enough evidence to really go in and overturn what was the call on the floor. And yeah, quite frankly, in that sort of situation, I just don't think that there's any need to make a call. So you stick with what the call was or the lack thereof on the floor. Yep, wouldn't have been the first wrong call. If indeed it was wrong, as you say, it wouldn't be the first wrong call in the game and it wouldn't have been the last either. So yeah, if you it, do, you, do, you, do you go back on every single call and go, oh, hang on, he carried the ball. Oh, hang on a second, he lifted his pivot foot. Well, that's if, right, if that's exactly. Case, yeah, it's going to be nil all at the end of the game. We had our first double dribble in an NBA finals game that I ever remember seeing with Clay Thompson in game four yesterday, speaking of infringements. That was interesting. So we've taken a quick pause to reset the Zoom, which decided after 40 minutes that it would uh, allow us to, <laughs> to basically reconnect. And I've just noticed that I've actually been recording through the wrong freaking microphone. <laughs> uh, it's all happening, Stewie. It, it, it's Murphy's Law. Given, given all the other difficulties we've had, it, it was uh, par for the course, I dare say. It was odds on. So now I'm actually recording through the proper microphone instead of the crappy little one attached to these headphones. Very good. Ah, dear me. So NBA knife. Yeah. So what do you make of of the finals so far? I tell you what, I'm I'm glad it's two all. It could very easily be three one. Probably either way, actually. But uh, hopefully this one's going seven. What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of torn because I think my dislike for Draymond Green probably trumps everything else. So I do want Boston to win it. Having said that, Boston do have a lot of championships. And, and the interesting thing about it for me will be what it would actually potentially do to Steph Curry's legacy should they lose. Because all of a sudden, he's 3-3 three and three in the finals. Everyone who doesn't like LeBron pisses and moans about the fact that he's 4-6 and six in finals and therefore he's not the greatest of all time. It's like, well, what does that do to Steph then? Well, a couple of things there. So Draymond's been a big story, hasn't he? There was obviously the fuck you Draymond chance in game three, which was... There was which, a fuck you Clay in, in game four as well. Oh, I didn't pick up on that one. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah but it's it's just funny, like, uh, listening to Mike Breen trying to explain the uh, the chants that are going on in the, in the building, even though you can hear it anyway. So he doesn't even need to really say anything about it, I don't think. But the other thing that was funny was that Draymond's wife was saying, and look, it is coarse and it's not great for young kids around, but Draymond's wife was was making comments about it too. But then in his press conference, after I think it was game three, even with his child next to him, someone asked him, how do you, how did you play Draymond? And he said, like I played shit. like shit. Yeah. So he yep. swore in front of his kid anyway. So it's like, yeah. well, you know. That was funny prior to game three as well, because they had those 10 foot two rims and it just it just gave me flashbacks to Challenge Stadium when the Wildcats, they had to readjust the, the baskets every five minutes, it felt like sometimes. And of course, it the goes conspiracy show, theories were doing the rounds too. Yeah, but, but it goes to show how good these guys are professionally that they would notice that. I mean, you think, look at two inches, it's, you know, what are we talking like 5.1 centimetres all up? Like it's nothing, but they're that good that they notice that. It's all relative, I guess, isn't it, Stewie? Yeah, true. <laughs> it's good they did spot it. Oh, oh. <laughs> Sorry, man, I didn't, I didn't even realise what you were talking about at first. <laughs> oh, shit, we'll While we're that. staying rude, I thought it was funny. I think it was in game one, Imi Udoka in one of the timeouts was like, will you guys stop playing like assholes? <laughs> I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny. That, that game one was weird, wasn't it? Boston just, and it's happened to them twice now. It's happened to them in both games one and four. Games that it looked like they they kind of had under control, and particularly Game Four on their home floor, they they just kind of gave it away. So in the final five fifteen of of Game Four, the Warriors had seventeen points of five of eight shooting, and the Celtics had three on one of eight. 
That's terrible way to close. It was the shot selection. The shot selection was hideous. It's basically all hero ball. Let's just jack up as many threes as we possibly can. I think I can remember maybe one or two shots inside the three-point line. It just seemed like every time they got the ball, it was like, how do we get a three up? Yeah, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. There was a bit of a bit of hero ball going on there. It's it's just I'm I'm glad that it's two all though. It keeps the series interesting. But yeah, it's it's been it's been funny, hasn't it? So game one, obviously, Steph went nuts in the first quarter, and then he had that extended rest in the to start the second. And you're kind of thinking, oh, maybe they should have. I know that's what Kerr normally does. He normally gives him his big bulk of rest to start the second. But geez. You wonder if they should have ridden that hot hand, hey, because they ended up losing the game when when Boston closed really well to to finish game one. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, sometimes with those, yeah, you do have to sort of scrap that plan. We know all the coaches have their sort of idea of when they want to rest their players. But yeah, why would you not sort of put the game beyond any sort of reach? And yeah, you're right. Look what happened with Boston. They had some, you know, some really, really big performances from the likes of Derek White, who I know you're a massive fan of. Jalen Brown, I think, was superb as well down the stretch. They seemed to hit everything. Al Horford had a, a massive game. I think he, they said six threes in his first ever finals game is a, a record for your finals debut. I actually saw a really funny tweet from Joe Sheehan who said, Warriors lead collapsed like it was held in crypto. <laughs> yes, that's very volatile at the moment. All over the place, isn't it? On the legacy stuff with Steph, how was that game four? I mean, on the flip side of what you're saying, that that game four is one for the ages. That That's going to surely lift him up in the stakes for many people. Absolutely, it does, yeah. I mean, you're talking about not a, a do or die, but you're not far off it. I mean, if you, you talk about 3-1 deficits, and obviously the Warriors know about losing 3-1 leads, but it's very, very difficult to do. And as I said, that potentially then means that they've lost three different finals to three different teams. And yes, all of a sudden you start sort of saying, well, okay, Steph is very, very good, but uh, yeah, three and three when you've had those sorts of teams, I don't know. I just don't feel he's had the help. I think Wiggins has been probably the second best player for Golden State as far as consistency is concerned. He was a beast on the boards in game four. They probably don't win it without his boards, even with all of Steph's scoring, of course. He had some timely offensive boards and he played superbly well. Had his career high in rebounds actually in that game, which is pretty crazy. So he was awesome. But Clay's been a bit down. Draymond, now one of the Draymond things is his podcasting. I don't know. What do you make of all that? I think that's a bit, it's a bit stupid, really. I mean, how long does it take him? He wouldn't edit himself. He wouldn't be doing any of the the post-production stuff. So really, he would be doing a little bit of prep and recording. Other guys are going to be sitting on the couch watching other games or watching movies or whatever. What's the difference? Well, I see you and I raise you. I've got Sam Esfandiari on Twitter said, and I quote, MJ gambles till 4am the night before finals games. Rodman left town to smoke cigars with Hulk Hogan on WCW Nitro. I don't think Draymond talking on YouTube for 30 minutes sober in a hotel room is why they're losing, guys. Yeah, that's that's very fair. And Esfandiari would know, very, very famous poker player. I will just go back to what you're saying about Wiggins, absolutely the second best player on their, their team. I don't think there's any question about it. 16 rebounds in game four, an incredible effort. And you're right, like those those key offensive boards in the fourth quarter where he's getting putbacks is, yeah, possibly, maybe not the difference, but certainly one of the big differences in them getting that game. But yeah, Draymond hasn't been right. Jordan Poole... Yeah, he hasn't been particularly great. No, he played all right in game four. He had 14, which which is so hopefully that's maybe the catalyst for him turning it around. But yeah, they haven't really been getting that much out of a lot of their role players. B Elites have played some decent minutes in one of their wins. 
Gary Payton's still kind of finding his way back from the injury. So even, you know, Kevon Looney's sort of done his thing where he's he sort of finds the right spots, gets a lot of offensive rebounds, gets a lot of layups and dunks around the rim. But yeah, I think without Wiggins playing at the level he's at, this could easily be 3-1 or 4 nothing. Well, how's this? So Stat Mumba said the 2022 finals, Curry has 137 points on 50% shooting, all other starters 176 on 39% shooting. And I'm surprised the 39 is that high. I thought it might have been more towards 35 ish and i noticed that mike wilbon at halftime of game four by the way jalen rose much better suit at halftime in game four than game three that was fucking hideous what he was wearing in game three what, what game- about his freaking hairline what about his hairline it looks like lego <laughs> i have seen some tw- some tweets about his hairline as well but wilbon at halftime said that draymond was struggling to even execute a dribble handoff and that would sound like a real dig But he's right. There were actually a number of occasions where he did nearly spill some dribble handoffs. It's very un-Draymond-like. I I can't remember seeing anything like it from him. He's he's just, he hasn't been complete shit, but geez, it's it's not what you need from him when you're trying to win a finals. On the flip side and, and talking about guys struggling with the handle, can you imagine how good Brown would be if he had a handle? Big fan, big, big fan. Yeah, I think yeah. He's, there's still a decent chance he he wins finals MVP, actually. Oh, I think at the moment, if they win it, he's their finals MVP. But I just look at how many times he tries to take defenders on and he struggles to sort of make crossovers or spin moves and all that sort of stuff. And once he gets into the lane, he's going to elevate over most guys, but he's been shooting the ball at a really, really good clip. I don't have the exact up-to-date figures, but I've got a, a picture that I took from one of the, uh, I think it was a stat news sort of thing, and it was talking about how he's shooting 66.7% from the field and 64.5% from three in the fourth quarter of these playoffs. I think that was after game three, but I mean, he's just been spectacular down the stretch of these games. And just as well, because on the flip side, I saw on Hater Muse today, Jason Tatum's been averaging 2.8 points per game on 25% shooting in fourth quarters. Yeah, you're right. He he does disappear a little bit in these fourth. It's it's not great. It's not if he doesn't improve, I think Golden State runs away with this one now that it's two all. What do you make of all the Kobe stuff with with Jason Tatum? Wearing like it is fucking blasphemy for him to be wearing a purple and gold 24 armband in a Boston Celtics uniform. Like fucking hell. If I was the coach, I'd be like, no, I'm sorry, mate. You are not wearing Lakers shit. We are the Boston Celtics for Christ's sake. I don't care how much you like Kobe. Like that's just asking for bad karma, I reckon. Just asking for it. 100%. 100% it is. I mean, yeah, it's it's the same way. You, I mean, okay, shoes are different. 100% if he wants to wear Kobe shoes or he wants to wear Jordan shoes, whatever, that's fine. But yeah, I think I think you might be right. He's probably pushing it a little bit too far with that. I can't remember if, if he's worn that armband in the finals, but he definitely wore them. It might have been game seven of the Eastern Conference. It just looks weird. It's just, yeah, not a fan of that. Not a fan. So I guess who you got, Stewie? Game five would have happened by the time we released this, but at this stage, it's too old. I think Golden State. I just, I think the the way that Steph is playing, obviously the injury in game three wasn't enough to keep him out and he puts on a, a virtuoso performance. I think Draymond Green probably gets better. And I think Clay, I mean, game six, Clay is still sort of a couple of games away. So yeah, I think Golden State, unfortunately. I just hope it goes seven. I, I just, yeah. it's really hard to pick. I think really hard to pick. Boston have been so good on the road. So they, they could very easily pull it out. Come on, get off the fence. I said at the start of the finals, the winner was coming out of the East. And then Golden State had such a soft run in, obviously playing Denver with players injured and and then didn't have to face Phoenix. And Dallas is basically a one-man team. They had a very soft run in, but okay, I'll say Celtics. I'll say Celtics. 
I want Derek Ooh. White to win. My favorite uh, favorite spur once Paddy Mills left. So I was sad to see him go, but great to see him doing good things. And he's really contributing too. So played really well in game one. Well, hope it goes seven. Let's finish the NBA with this. So apparently Ben Simmons has a new collaboration upcoming with Ferrari. And I saw on Twitter, Coggan Toboggan asked if Ferrari will have no clutch either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the internet does not miss. <laughs> So we've had a major tennis tournament wrap up. Yeah, fairly important tennis tournament, the old French Open. So we do have a freshly crowned king and queen of the clay. No surprise in the men's, Rafael Nadal taking out his 14th French Open, which is just ridiculous as I say it. And Iga Swiatek getting her second Grand Slam, both at the French as well. So yeah, a really, really interesting couple of weeks there. We had you know, a few a few sort of storylines, the, the grunting and all of the, the usual sort of hoo-ha. But, uh, but I think... Yeah, for me, the, the biggest story to come out of the non-winners is the emergence of Coco Goff. And I'll talk about her in a minute, but I guess we'll just sort of quickly wrap up the, the women's side first. So Schwiatek's beaten Goff 6-1, 6-3 in the final. Look, a disappointing week at the end for Goff. She actually lost in the final of doubles as well with Jess Pegula. But if we look at Schwiatek, she only lost one set the entire way through that tournament. She's now on a 35-match winning streak, the longest streak since Venus Williams in 2000, and the seventh longest streak ever in women's tennis. Three more wins will put her into fifth place. She does still have a long way to go to catch Martina Navratilova, who had a 74-game win streak yeah, in 1984. I heard, I heard that on PTI. I couldn't believe it. Crazy. But when you consider how much new Swiatek is generating from this 35-match streak, and you consider that Navratilova's is more than double that, yeah. it just puts into perspective how good Martina was. Capriati had a bloody good one at one stage too, I believe. Yeah, there were a few of them. When I was sort of looking at the streaks, there were other... I mean, I think Capriati had multiple streaks in excess of 50 games. So yeah, there's a lot of these players that it's easy to forget from the sort of the 70s and 80s that were spectacular, really. And when you look at the dominance that she has in the women's sport right now, you go to the WTA rankings, she has nearly double the points of second place Annette Kontovit from Estonia. It's going to be really hard for her to be knocked off the top for a very long time. And I saw a tweet that really backed up just how dominant she is right now. So since she lost her first career final, Schwiatek hasn't lost more than five games in any of her other nine finals matches and an average of just over three and a half games lost per match. Wow. That is insane. It sure is. And and if you look at the quality of the players that she's beaten, so I'll quickly run through them. So Coco Gauff just then, Ons Jabur, Arena Sabalenka, Naomi Osaka, Maria Sakari, Annette Kontavit, Karolina Pliskova, Belinda Bencic, and Sofia Kinin. At the moment, seven of those players are inside the top 20. The only two that aren't, Naomi Osaka, who would have been pretty high up. Well, it was Miami Open 2022, so she may be sort of on the slide, but still a very good player. And Sophia Kinin, who's now 328th in the, the world, she has absolutely fallen off a cliff. But at the time, she would have probably been a top 10 player as well. So she's really doing it against top quality players. And so just quickly, I did want to go back to Coco for a second. She's made the final in both the singles and doubles, as I mentioned. I've made little secret of the fact that I love her game. She's got that really great mixture of power and mobility. I've seen enough that tells me that she's going to be contending at events for many, many years to come. And if you look at, I guess, why I'm so impressed by her, it's the fact that she's still only 18. It seems like we've been talking about it for so long, but she's 18. She's a very impressive young woman, very well spoken too. So yeah, I think she's got a very bright career ahead of her, no doubt. So she's just reached her career high ranking of 13. Not only is she the youngest player inside the top 20, so she's a year younger than Emma Raducanu and Layla Fernandez, 
to find somebody younger than her in the rankings, you have to go down to world number 139, Linda Noskova of the Czech Republic, who wow. is 17. So in terms of what she's doing at her age, and look, we've had a lot of really, really great players. We always go back to the Martina Hingises of the world. And uh, and I guess like Monica Sellis, Jennifer Capriati was another one who won stuff at a young age. But to be doing what she's doing, a- again, it is impressive. Um, and I read an article on tennisuptodate.com about Chrissy Everett saying that of the new breed of teenagers, golf is the best. And I could not agree more. Like it's her time. She's made a final now in the singles. I think she's ready to, to really push and contend at all of these major tournaments. And, you know, just quietly, she's ranked fifth in the world in doubles and pretty decent showing in her next tournament. She could easily push up into the top three. So just there's, there's a lot to love about Coco's game. And, and I look forward to watching her for many years to come. So look, I'll be honest, mate. I didn't watch a second of of any of the French Open. I don't even know if I've seen highlights. But Nadal is now two ahead. It becomes harder to be caught. I, I still suspect that Djokovic would have a decent chance, but it does make things interesting. I mean, it does. But at the same time, you're starting to see that next wave of these players really starting to push. I mean, Alex Sparov played Rafa probably as hard as anyone's played him in, in a long time, certainly at the French Open. So they were more than three hours into their match. They hadn't even started the tiebreak in the second set. And if you looked at the, those players at that time, Nadal didn't look quite as energetic as Sparov. Now, if it goes five, maybe Nadal's fitness kind of pushes him over the edge. But at the same time, he's, you know, what, 36 now. So it certainly gets harder and harder the older you get. And then on top of that, you've got Felix Auger Aliassime. You've got the Daniel Medvedevs of the world. Kasper Ruud, who he beat in the final, is, is really starting to make a name for himself. So there's a lot of players that are kind of pushing towards the, the upper echelon of that sport. And yeah, you're right. I don't think it's going to be as easy for Djokovic as it maybe was two or three years ago. The next wave is really starting to push through. And the crazy thing about this one, though, is that Nadal actually had to battle through a foot injury that probably would have kept him out of any non-slam event. And when you hear the reports that his doctor sort of gave about the the painkillers that he was having to, to go through every single game, like it's almost a miracle that he won it. Just so good on clay, isn't he? Well, this is it. And, and it kind of, it was one of the things I was sort of thinking about. And obviously everyone's talking about the GOAT debate, the whole Djokovic, Nadal, and I suppose to a lesser extent, Federer, he's kind of fallen off the back end of that debate. And the more I'm sort of thinking about it, like there's pros and cons for each. And for Nadal, I mean, 14 of his 22 grand slams, so nearly two thirds of them are in Paris. He hasn't won Wimbledon since 2010, had his first Australian Open triumph since 2009 this year. You could obviously argue if he took away the clay court, he may not have half as many grand slams. And that was Djokovic missing here in Australia as well, of course. I mean, there's always big names missing for any number of reasons at any given tournament, but it's a part of it. But the Oz Open is Djokovic's favourite. He's won it nine times. It's a surface that he seems to enjoy playing on and is very successful at. So it's a great point that you make. Him not being in Australia probably stops it from being close to level. I mean, he would have probably won that, goes to 21, and all of a sudden Nadal's probably just caught up to him at 21. So yeah, it's a good point. And a good point to not lie in immigration. Yes, that's a, that's a pretty decent <laughs> counterpoint as well. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's fair enough. It's fair enough. And, and look, there's pros and cons. I mean, talking about Djokovic, he's, the pro for him is he's won all the Grand Slams at least twice. He's not relying on one surface to do the heavy lifting as much as he's won nine of them in, in Australia. He's won six Wimbledons, three US Opens, and two French Opens. So he's done it everywhere. But you'd also argue that maybe he found that sweet spot sort of in between Federer and Nadal's prime and I guess the next wave coming through. But now we're kind of at the the end of that wave and it'll be interesting to see over the next few years how many Djokovic can take out. 
So, Nate, off the back of tennis, we've got to move to the footy world. There's been a fair bit of stuff happening off the field in the AFL and a little bit on the field as well. Tips first, Dewey. I'm on 75. Well, I'm prepared to give myself 76 because at exact time of recording... GWS are beating North 64-17, so I'm prepared to call that one a win. Yeah, well, I've, I'm four behind you at the moment, which is probably a similar position to where I was this time last season. Actually, so <laughs> probably is, actually, yeah. See if I can psych you into a few dodgy tips on the way <laughs> into the finals. Nah, look, it hasn't been an amazing season of tips for me. I mean, this is probably the, the closest I'm going to be to getting a, a perfect round, I would imagine. I'm expecting a, a certain result tomorrow in the Collingwood-Melbourne game, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, should we start there with Melbourne? There's some dramas going on. I think if ever there's a good time to be playing them, now's the time. Absolutely. So it's not exactly news right now, but we do have to talk about this fight between Stephen May and Jake Melksham. So the team are out at a pub in Paran. They're having a few drinks, which when you think about it, Stephen May's in concussion protocols. They probably shouldn't have even let him take part in that. But anyway, yes. yes. The, the official and unofficial word at the same time is that May was talking some shit about Joel Smith, who'd actually organised the night out. And he was also apparently talking about Melksham, saying they would have lost the grand final if he'd played. Punches are thrown. Melksham has an infection in his hand from the fight. What an absolute clusterfuck. Yeah, it's a shit show, isn't it? And Stephen May's now come to blows in two different teams with different teammates when he gets on the grog, uh, allegedly. So yeah, not, not a good track record for him. I found it interesting. I don't know if you heard, but Jordan Lewis said that there's there tends to be, once you've won a premiership, a divide between those who have won and those who didn't. I found that quite quite and obviously he's he's uh, no stranger to premierships with with that really successful run at Hawthorne there. But I found that interesting that if you didn't make the 22 to win that medal, all of a sudden you're kind of on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I look at that in away and, and I mean I, I go back as an Eagles fan I go back to the 2018 final no Andrew Gaff no Nick Natanui uh, Brad Shepard didn't play in that team he tore his hamstring in the uh, the prelim so I sort of look at that and I, and I just think there's no way that I could possibly imagine those three guys being segregated in any way shape or form because they didn't play in that final and I'm sure you as a Swan supporter you could probably think of several players that maybe missed out on your last premiership I think it's more a case of different clubs would maybe have different ways of looking at things. But I think if you're a side that is really cohesive, really drawn together, it wouldn't make a, a shit of a difference. Because quite frankly, all of those players, whether they're playing every game or if they're just guys that are at training doing the right things, they're all part of that success overall. Well, that's they right. You're get, a club. Yeah. yeah. They, don't get the, they don't get medals, but I mean. Whew. They probably should. But that's another. that's another thing, I guess. Yeah, I, th- I couldn't agree more. I think if somebody misses out because, you know, again, going back to the Brad Shepard thing, he tears his hamstring in a preliminary final, but he's been pretty much all Australian most of that year. Him missing out is pretty damn unfair. It's kind of the exact opposite to basketball where you get a championship ring if you happen to, I don't know, apply one hand of deep heat on someone on one occasion yeah, during a you're a ball boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, one thing about COVID is that I have had a chance to watch a fair bit of footy this weekend. And there's been some good games. That Hawthorne-Frio game was really entertaining. But, oh, how was that head knock between Zach Butters and and uh, Tom Jonas? My goodness. Oh, it's disgusting seeing that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm not going to go into my journey, but it does bring back pretty bad memories of, of that sort of thing. I think the most disappointing part of that was seeing these guys. And I can't remember which one it was that went back on five minutes after it happened. But going straight back on, I mean, okay, yes, I know they'd already used their medical sub. You can't be sort of down two players or maybe that's sort of how they're thinking. But 
I mean, again, well, it's a question we ask. Are we taking we protocols? Yeah. Are we taking them seriously but, or are we not? But, but this is it. This is the question we always ask. Like, when are we going to take these head knocks that seriously? I mean, if a guy's got a concussion, there's no way. And, and again, I, I'm sorry to keep going back to my experience there, but I don't have a single recollection of a, probably about an hour and a half before it happened and an hour after it happened. So how do we know these guys aren't going through that same thing where they literally have no idea where they are? It's just, it's a scary thing. You, you just can't mess around with concussions. And you bring up another interesting point about the medical sub too, because teams are taking the piss with that. The idea was that if you had to use the medical sub, someone wouldn't play for the next 10 days, but that's just been completely out the window. Yeah, it, this needs to be something that the AFL looks at where they, and okay, yes, I know it's a, an incredibly expensive sort of exercise but you almost have to have a third-party independent doctor making that call for you and then the other big news is that the western bulldogs bailey smith got the white line fever (laughs) yes evidently so allegedly yeah this is a tricky one i mean i don't know if you've had a chance to read the statement that he put out about it 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 definitely was one that was written for him rather than i would imagine (laughs) That was my notes. It's very unlikely he wrote that. Some of the wording in that, what was it? Something about vagaries. And there's some language that very few 21-year-olds would use. So I'd be surprised if he wrote that himself. I I, I dare say we're 100% spot on with that. But having said that, I'd imagine that this is one of these things where he's just gone to them and said, look, I've done this. I fucked up. I want to put it out there that I've, I've made a mistake. Well, there's visual and evidence, mate. So it's pretty hard to of avoid. Course, of who, of who, course. Is, who is dumb enough? Anyone, let alone being a professional or someone in the public spotlight. Who is dumb enough to have themselves recorded doing illicit substances that are illegal? I, th- I just, I, it's fucking I crazy. Name, I can name one. <laughs> Well, I, well, it happens more, 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 yeah, more than one actually. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of Michael Phelps. I don't know who you're thinking of, but yeah, it's happened all too many times. It's just ridiculous. Well, I was, I was thinking of Bailey Smith, quite frankly. Oh well, okay, <laughs> but, well, okay. I thought you were thinking of a different but, one, but yeah. No, I mean, oh, Paul Pierce. You could go back to what he did. Oh, with the know, hookers sitting, yeah. sitting in that room with it. Yeah. So there's like. <laughs> People make mistakes and it's one of these things where, okay, yeah, he's probably going to get a rap on the knuckles for it, but he's young, he's around money that he's probably never had before. He's going to make mistakes. Hasn't been a good fortnight for him. Obviously got a couple of weeks for the headbutt too. So so hopefully well, things turn around for him and the dogs. They're sitting in 10th, so he the, was uh, bloody, the grand he was final lucky. hangover. He was lucky to only get two weeks for that. I reckon he should have got four. Yeah, my, my gut feeling was three, so I split the middle there. But there's, yeah. just no, there's no place in the game for it. There really isn't. Disappointing, but look, it is what it is. And we're sort of starting to get past that midpoint of the season towards the uh, the finals run. And I think, uh, yeah, if we look at the ladder right now, you know, your boys are probably sitting a little bit lower than you'd have liked at this stage, but... Oh, it's all about percentage of points, plus we're on the bye week, so... But but here's the question. How many teams are legitimate premiership threats? Uh, I would say at this stage, <sighs> legitimate, probably four or five. I mean, yeah, Melbourne I obviously have... Melbourne have to be, Brisbane at full strength are, Fremantle, if it's not a wet deck, uh, definitely every bit. I mean, they've beaten one and two in the last two weeks, so or the last three weeks, I should say. You have to think that they're legitimate. I, I guess, to a lesser extent, the Swans and the Cats. I, I don't quite believe in Carlton or St Kilda yet. They've shown great signs this season, but I don't believe in them. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I don't believe in St Kilda. Maybe Carlton, but a lot would have to break right for them. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I, th- I think the Swans and Cats have enough experienced players that they could certainly on their day, they could knock off anyone. I don't think they will. Yeah. I think at this stage, it's it's probably Melbourne and Brisbane's to lose. couple of tweets from the great Swampy to Swamp thing. Judson Clark became the 41st VFL AFL player to kick two goals with his first two kicks. 
The record belongs to Glenn Denning, who kicked his first six goals off his first six kicks. Crazy. Wow, that is nuts. And how's this for another crazy stat? Last night, Joey Danaher became the 258th VFL-AFL player to kick 258 career goals. Yeah, right. And this is after Charlie Dixon took what Swampy calls the parity title when he was the 257th to kick 257. She's a bet you wish you got Joey Danaher. <laughs> he's, he's had a pretty good start to his career at Brisbane, but no, I'm glad that we didn't get him and I didn't want him and he's made a class. Absolutely. So Nathan, we've kind of got a little bit of a, uh, a bit of a, almost like a rapid fire bloody hell. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? A number of stories over the last few weeks have caught my attention in terms of just how crazy they are. So I just kind of wanted to run through a few of these and kind of get your thoughts on them. So to start things off, Nathan, I've got a couple of unusual stories out of the baseball world. The first one is around Bryson Worrell. So he's a member of East Carolina University's team, and he has actually hit two home runs in the same innings in a game against Coppin State. And just for fun, he hit the first one right-handed and the second one left-handed. I hate ambidextrous people. <laughs> it's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? It's incredible. You're always a bit ambidextrous, weren't you? Oh, I've got a, a certain level, but not to the point where I'd not be switch sort hit. of switch. I wouldn't yeah. be switch hitting in a game of cricket like David Warner or Glenn Maxwell. I think probably the most ambidextrous thing, like I play volleyball quite a bit. I can hit pretty well left or right-handed. I've hit a left-handed three in a game once, whereas I play, I mean, I'm left-handed when I write, but I, I do most of my ball sports right-handed. So yeah, pulling up in transition and hitting a left-handed three was was something, but oh, geez, the way that he swings. Oh, to crack a dinger. It, yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? And he does it all the time. Like I've actually had a look at highlight reels of this kid and he, he hits left and right all the time. It, it's incredible. It really is. Now, the other one is from a game between North Central Texas and Weatherford. This is something I've never seen before in baseball. So the top of the sixth inning, it's this is junior college, by the way. I probably should mention that. And Josh Phillips has hit this home run off Owen Woodward to put North Central ahead 3-2. Phillips has rounded third base to come home and Woodward, who I must mention, six foot three, nearly 200 pounds. So he's a big dude, throws his glove down and just charged at Phillips and tackled him hard to the ground. Anyone who watches a little bit of WWE, it's the sort of spear you would expect from someone like Edge or uh, I don't know, I'm thinking Brock like- Lesnar. Bro, yeah, Brock Lesnar, Goldberg, those sorts of Oh, yeah, of Goldberg, like, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it caused a bit of a scuffle. The game was suspended. There's probably a damn good chance that Woodward gets suspended as well. It was kind of interesting, though, seeing that very few players from his team actually came in to back him up because obviously they just looked at it and went, well, you're a dickhead. You probably deserve whatever you get here. <laughs> a team full of Stephen Mays' teammates. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I did see a really funny comment about this on YouTube. Someone actually said, oh, he gave up the home run, but he saved the touchdown. <laughs> yeah. So look, as funny as, as it sort of looked, it's something I kind of hope not to see ever again because this poor kid got blindsided. He did not see it coming. While we're talking baseball, Stewie, I saw that the Anaheim Angels finally snapped a 14-game losing streak yesterday. The Athletics said there were seven one-run losses. They scored Oof. one run or fewer in six losses. They went through a stretch of more than 300 plate appearances and only hit one homer. The bullpen blew late leads in six games, and the starting pitching often wasn't much better. And as so often happens in these things, manager Joe Madden was the one who fell on his sword or was uh, shown the door as a result of this. Three-time manager of the year and two-time World Series champion. So yes, finally back in the winner's circle, Anaheim, but with a new manager. 
Yeah, it's not a great time for managers, actually. Tony La Russa from the White Sox is copping fire Tony chants. So, yeah, it's not, not a great time for certain managers right now. And as you say, it's always the managers or the coaches that have to fall on the sword or be pushed onto it Yep. because their players aren't sort of doing what they should be doing. Can be a thankless job. Absolutely. Now, we move over to the world of professional cycling. There's been a couple of fairly nasty incidents over the last couple of weeks. And Ale Omiopi, our uh, cycling enthusiasts who are listening. Yes, absolutely. So the first one involves a gentleman by the name of Biniam GMA, and he's won stage 10 of the Giro d'Italia. In the process, became the first Black African to win a Grand Tour stage, which is really cool. It's from Eritrea, by the way. So it's a little uh, African nation right in the top right-hand corner for people that don't know. Yes, fantastic. And yeah, oh, it is. For, for a population that size to be producing, and look, it's not a particularly rich country. So to be pumping out quality cyclists is, is very cool. And like so many cyclists before him, he's celebrated, as they do, by opening a bottle of champagne. Problem was, the cork had a mind of its own and popped up and smacked him right in the face, very, very close to his eye. Mm. And he's had to go to the hospital and he missed Yikes. all the post-race press conferences and all of that stuff. Didn't really get a chance to celebrate that properly. You thought shoeys were bad. Yeah, <laughs> corkies, much worse. No, Nobody likes a corky. I saw Barty did one of those in a charity golf match recently, by the way. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm still yet to try one. I'm not no, sure. No, no thanks. No. Never. Yeah, God. <laughs> it would... It, I would have to do it with really average beer, quite frankly. I couldn't waste good beer on that. I'm thinking about the shoe. I'd only do it with a brand new shoe, not not something (laughs) that my foot's been in. God, (laughs) bugger that for a joke. Oh, dear. Now, the other one, unfortunately, is probably slightly worse than that, I would say. At the Vuelta a Colombia... Now, local cyclist Luis Carlos Chia has won a sprint finish. Really, really great finish to the race. Unfortunately, he's collided with a photographer who was taking photos of him crossing the finish line. Now, the kicker is that that photographer was his own wife, Claudia Roncancio. She used to be a cyclist herself. So I guess there is a little bit of voluntary assumption of risk there, but ouch. Oh, wow. Yeah, crazy. So yeah, not great. He sort of limped away from it, which I thought was even more disappointing, Like as if you would limp away rather than checking on your wife. I mean, obviously he's in pain, but you've got to go and check on your wife first, mate. Come on. <laughs> Indeed. Now, a fair bit going on in the cricket world. Australia's tour of Sri Lanka. There was a crazy, crazy finish to the third T20 last night. I don't know if you had a chance to see that, mate. I can't say that I did, to be honest, mate. No. Seen a little bit of the England-New Zealand test stuff, but, uh, but not the T20s. Well, I'll fill you in on it very happily. So after winning the first two, Australia obviously won the series. They'd post, I think it was 175 in the third. Sri Lanka needed 59 off the last three overs and made it. Yeah, wow. Some insane hitting at the back end from Dasun Shanika. 54 off 25. Absolutely took apart Jaya Richardson and Josh Hazelwood in the last couple of overs. And uh, Kane Richardson as well. He, I mean, no one was really safe. There was a very, very controversial wide called in, I think, the penultimate over where the ball was well and truly inside the, the line. So I'm not sure about that one. But at the end of the day, you got to bowl well. And they did not bowl well in the last three overs and they paid the price. And hats off to Sri Lanka too, because they were very disappointed after that first match and they talked the talk. They said all the right things about coming out and trying to improve on that performance and evidently they have. Now, as you mentioned, New Zealand, they're touring England at the moment. Absolute batsman's paradise in the second test at the moment in Nottingham. New Zealand made 553 in the first innings, which is a pretty decent first inning score. Pretty big scores, Daryl Mitchell, 190, Tom Blundell, uh, 106. So they've sort of done most of the heavy lifting. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because in that first test, there were scores of below 200 for a team. So different deck, very different conditions. Yeah, they've probably almost overcorrected here, but 
look, it's it's good to see some runs. Now, on top of that, you've got the West Indies playing in Pakistan. And in the Ranji Trophy in India, Mumbai knocked off, I believe it's Uttarakhand, by 725 runs. Mumbai's Suved Parker actually outscored Uttarakhand's entire team with his first inning score alone. So, yeah, really, really great knock by him. Huge. But biggest story of the recent weeks for me involves the under-19 women's T20 World Cup Asia qualifier between Nepal and the United Arab Emirates. So if people haven't seen this, I'll give you a bit of a backstory. The tournament includes the UAE, Thailand, Nepal, Malaysia, Qatar, and Bhutan. So not exactly the, the heavyweights, I, I guess, of the cricketing world. Those teams that are kind of trying to lift themselves up, I guess, on that next tier in the T20 stakes. Yeah. Now, not surprisingly, some predictably low scores. Qatar only made 38 against Nepal. The UAE restricted Malaysia to nine for 33 off their full allotment of 20 overs. Yikes. Uh, but when Nepal took on the UAE, who finished undefeated, I will say, they absolutely had their asses handed to them. They were bowled out for eight. And they've got a young bowler who's uh, who's a superstar, but in the making, it seems, doesn't it? She she did some very good things. This, I'm assuming, would be Mahika Goa, five yeah. for two of her four overs. Yeah. You also had yeah, probably the, the more expensive of the, the opening bowlers, Induja Nanda Kumar. She went for six runs off her four overs, picked up three. And uh, yeah, in reply, the UAE knocked off the runs with 113 balls to spare. But I will say this, thank God for that 10th wicket partnership of two from the Nepalese. It could have been a lot worse. Oh, key, key. Now, probably one of the funniest moments I've seen in probably all cricket, I would imagine, has come from the fan code ECS Czech Republic match between the Prague Barbarians and Vinohradi CC. You've seen this one. So, I have, yeah. Uh, I saw it on Twitter the other day. It was classic. <laughs> now, oh, it's man. funny enough because the match was actually reduced from 10 overs to just three aside. That's so, ridiculous. That's outrageous. Yeah, as if a 10-10 match isn't silly enough. Now, the Barbarians batted first, and in their third and final over, a ball was delivered to Andy Sim, who had an absolute fresh airy, but Jahanur Hoke at the other end, he's haired through for a bye. And keep in mind, the wicketkeeper standing up to the stumps as well. So the keepers missed the stumping as he's dropped the ball, then missed the run out at the non-striker's end as he threw the ball past the bowler. As this happened, Hoax turned and come back for a second. Sim reacted super late. He was about two-thirds of the way down the pitch when the ball went to a fielder who was backing up at the striker's end. He's dropped the ball too, and it's gone to another guy behind him. Hoax seen this and took off again. Oh, it's the a same, calamity. It's, it's it, just ridiculous. It is. The same guy at the stumps has dropped the ball again, which allowed Hoax to get home, and Sim somehow managed to get to the non-striker's end. So they've basically managed three buys from a ball with the keeper up to the stumps where the keeper didn't actually let the ball get past him. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It I also saw a village video of a bloke lapping the guy he was batting with as well. <laughs> I think I did see that one as well. He only just made his ground, the slow fella. It was close. Oh, dear. Well, actually, it was like that game that we used to play way back when. Uh, who was who was the really quick runner in that? Oh, oh God. You know the one I'm talking about? I do. I do. Yeah, it's funny when you have, like, computer games and there's, like, players that are just otherworldly. Uh, a shout-out yeah. to uh, Bo Jackson in, in Ness Football. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but I remember, I remember us playing a game before going to the lookout one night and I only scored like three or four runs and everyone was giving me shit and we're all laughing. And then I managed to defend it. Yeah, you did. You, yeah, you, you bowl one of our mates out for two. I think it was. Yeah. Oh dear. I, I know I he listened, feeling, shout out. Yeah. I, I feel like the, the really fast guy was a guy named Connors and he just, yeah, he would be lapping guys. It was insane. Anyway, we'll move on a couple other sports to talk about. So just quickly in the soccer world, 
Really interesting story from the Football World Cup. It looked for a pretty decent amount of time like Ecuador were actually going to miss out on the World Cup after Chile claimed that right back Byron Castillo was actually born in Colombia and was three and a half years older than his documentation set. Oh, didn't see that one, Stewie. It's, it's a really interesting one because Ecuador qualified and I'll give you one guess as to who it was that was the eliminated team that was one point short of making the playoffs. Well, I guess it wouldn't take a wise man to say Chile. It was indeed the Chileans. So they probably have a motive to potentially make something up like this. And if you look at it, Ecuador actually won 14 of their 26 qualification points in games that Castillo played. So there was a potential that they would all be stripped and Ecuador would go to second bottom. And as a result of that, there were two games that they played against the Chileans who basically they won one of them, they drew the other one. Chile would have had those reversed and they would have been given three nothing wins, which would have moved them up into fourth place on goal difference and automatically qualified them for the World Cup. Now, there is actually a precedent of sorts. In 2016, Nelson Cabrera played for Bolivia when he actually wasn't eligible. He was born in Paraguay, hadn't lived in Bolivia long enough to play for them. So they were stripped of points. And so, yeah, maybe the Chileans thought, oh, well, let's maybe throw some shit at a wall and see if anything sticks. (laughs) Oh, man. So in the Major League Soccer, Stewie, there were shades of the rugby over here not so long ago when Javon Johansson in that uh, Gold Coast Titans game was tackled by security when she was a pitch invader. So in a two-all draw between Nashville and Atlanta United, there was a lengthy rain delay which led to a pitch invader running on the field, having a bit of fun, and then getting absolutely cleaned up, didn't she? She, she looked out cold. Oh, she got blindsided. This was a really ugly incident. And fair enough, Johansson sort of came out after she got hit by the security at the rugby and said, hey, I'm a rugby player. I can deal with it. Even though she got cleaned up pretty badly, she saw the guy coming. So she was probably able to brace a little bit more. This chick just ragdolled as soon as he hit her. And she was pretty dazed as they were dragging her off the field. Looked like a pretty obvious concussion. Not pretty, obviously. I've been sort of thinking about this and I think there has to be a better way to stop this stuff from happening. And it's, it's got to be sort of more around the fact that maybe we're not going to tackle you when you enter the grounds, but there's going to be a fine for doing it that is a lot bigger than what it is now. It's maybe currently, I don't know, what is it in Perth, like 10 grand, something like that? Oh, it's hard to know since COVID. Everything changed with COVID. Yeah, once once upon a time, it was five grand. I think it's gone up to maybe even as much as 20. I, I think you've got to make it an amount that's going to be really hard to get on GoFundMe pages, even if it's like 100,000, 200,000, enough to basically say to people, hey, if you can't get this through GoFundMe, it's going to cripple you. Oh, yeah. So don't do it. That's just don't do it. Yeah. yeah, so you just got to make it to the, to the point where it's just not financially viable for people to do this for whatever reason, whether it be I'm doing a stupid video for TikTok or Instagram or whatever it happens to be. Just, yeah, there's it, got to be more of a deterrent and, and it's, it's just got to be financial nowadays. Unfortunately, the, the thing that I have to mention, the risk of doing this is it's so high. Someone is eventually going to slam their head pass out and not wake up and like I know it's not the same but we had that real tragic case of South African boxer Samiso Butalezi died from a brain bleed was shadow boxing against no one in the middle of the ring yeah I saw that that was bizarre wasn't it because he was kind of winning at the time too so that was that was terrible I didn't realize he'd passed away that's a terrible situation yeah Yeah. Yeah, he did went went to the hospital and passed away a day or two later right right. he was in a coma last I saw yeah that's that's Yeah. yeah that's really sad like we've, we've said this before in this episode and we'll keep saying it, head injuries are just not worth messing with. They really aren't. Bloody hell.
just wrapping up football codes, I guess, congratulations to Sam Kerr as the 2022 Professional Football Association Player of the Year. Yeah, that is, I'll tell you what, she is, we say it all the time, she is just so spectacularly good, putting together one of the greatest international careers you could hope for. You could have to think that there's plenty of time left in that career too, so, so oh, 100%. she'll go down as one of the absolute greats. All right, sure, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, look, it's clear to see from this episode, doesn't matter what is going on with us, the crazy world of sport never seems to stop turning, but it does seem like the frequency of these bloody hell-worthy incidents has picked up in the last month. Yeah, no kidding. That's half a show. It really was. I mean, I think for us, obviously, the conclusion of the NBA Finals is interesting. My head says Golden State, my heart says Boston. Go the Celtics. How about yourself, mate? Yeah, well, got through it in the end. Uh, COVID is no fun, so I don't encourage people to go and catch it. But had a lot of fun once again. And until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blocks.